Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. It's so encouraging to hear these stories from our campuses about these people everywhere, part of our family, that are being delivered, healed, restored, pulled out of the rubble, and put back together. And yes, that's Stan Month. That's what we're about. We're about uh, families and marriages and putting kids in forever homes and rescuing people. And this isn't something we do this month when we when we uh, focus in on Stan, this is something that happens year after year after year, day after day. We just highlight it so that we can remind ourselves what's really important and a priority to God. And so we've been basing this uh, Stan month through the uh, book of Nehemiah, which has been really great. We have one more message next week as we wrap up uh, the Stan month. But um, today I've, I've entitled it The Dilemma of Distraction. <clears throat> because... Uh, this is part of, well, what the enemy would bring against us, and you'll see why in a few moments. But we're looking at this incredible story again uh, of a guy in the Old Testament named Nehemiah, and he takes an incredible stand to do what God would seem really absolutely impossible, to rebuild walls around a large city and uh, around Jerusalem and to move the people of God into their God destiny to gather them once again in a secure place where God's name could be made great. God could be glorified. God could be great. That was really what Nehemiah was after this whole time, was for God to be great through the people once again. And uh, first of all, before we get into this, I want to establish something here that you need to understand that you were created not by accident, but by the providence and the goodness of God. He knew exactly what he was doing when he made you and knit you together and formed you and gave you gifts and passions and talents and abilities and dreams and desires and strength and everything intellect in you to do something that will make a difference, an eternal difference in this world that you and I live in. That's really what God is after. I believe that God has a good work for every single one of us to do, to, to do something that does make an eternal difference. I believe that is in the heart of every person. God put that there. Because we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for a good work. We're saved on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, a divine purpose, a great purpose. We must understand that. For we see this in the life of Nehemiah himself, who was not some great guy. He was just an ordinary guy doing his job. And he understands, he has a moment, a revelation, an aha moment where he says, wow, God has created me for something and I need to get at it. It's a great work. And he went after it. No different than you or I in this room here today, what we're called to do. Let me bring you up to speed if you've missed the last few weeks of this Nehemiah character. Again, he's an old normal guy in the Old Testament. Uh, he was not a prophet, he wasn't a pastor, wasn't a king. Wasn't a president, wasn't a warrior, wasn't even a building contractor, yet he undertakes a massive construction project. He was a regular guy serving in the king's court, King Artaxerxes of Persia. He was known as the cupbearer, kind of an advisor to the king. He would sample his wine and food before he would 
consume it to make sure the king was safe. A little bit of risk to his job, but that's what he did. But somewhere around 587 B.C., under the reign of an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians came in and completely destroyed Judah. They crushed Solomon's temple. They burned everything, the gates. The city was in complete ruins. The walls were torn down. Literally thousands and thousands of Jewish people were taken into captivity, exiled. It was a disaster. Decades passed. No one seemed to be able to rebuild this, the walls to restore what was destroyed, even the temple, which Ezra uh, took that on, and uh, as Book of Ezra and Nehemiah run with each other in sequence, yet uh, no one was able to pull this off. And then one day, Nehemiah's brother shows up. We talked about this already, and tells him of the plight of the people. Nehemiah's heart sank. He was gripped, undone by the condition of his people. He he heard that they were vulnerable and distressed. They were. Uh, they had no direction, no leadership. They were oppressed. Uh, they were hopeless and ashamed. And he was just knocked to the ground through this revelation. He was undone by the news. And he wept and he began to fast and cry out and pray. And over and over again, you see this pattern with Nehemiah throughout this book. He was a man of prayer, a guy who called on God for the impossible because he knew through God all things were possible. That was his go-to over and over and over again. A great pattern for his life that you and I should take that upon ourselves. But 12 different times it's recorded in the scriptures that he prays, he seeks God. 12 different times recorded that we know of, yet we know this was something that he continually did. He was one of those praying without ceasing kind of guys because he was desperate and he needed a miracle. And so it goes on, he goes before the king at great risk. He asked permission to leave his job, to leave his homeland, or to actually go back to his homeland and to try to assess the situation and perhaps, perhaps assemble a people that would believe God to do the impossible, something that had never happened before. Can you imagine? You crawl into this story, what he faced, it's amazing, and what he accomplished. But he's thinking, you know, perhaps God would use me. Perhaps he would use the people around me to rebuild these walls. Now, at first it didn't go so well. It was tough. It was a tough start. A lot of opposition, a lot of threats, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of behind-the-hand stuff. Yeah, but then eventually starts making some progress here. And, and you know what happens whenever you start making progress. You and I have experienced this. If you ever begin to make progress in life and things start falling together and and you feel momentum at your back, the wind at your back, and it's like, hey, this is good, I'm liking this. All of a sudden, when the work goes down, the opposition heats up, right? It starts coming up, man. All of a sudden, stuff starts happening. You know, stuff you didn't anticipate, and different things, and it's not uncommon. But the moment you, you start this, this, this movement on, on behalf of things that really matter to God. They're a priority to God. And everything else in your life, not that it's not important, it's just taken second place, a secondary place to the priority of God and what he's called you to take a stand on, what he's called you to do personally in your own life that needs to be reconstructed. Personally, and maybe the, the people you're, you're called to help or the ministry he's called you to step into or whatever assignment has come from heaven, you know this is a God priority. And everything else will 
will submit to that priority. And, and that's where Nehemiah's at at this point. But whenever that happens, you can count on it. Your adversary, the devil, the, the, the one who lives in the shadows that we can't see will come up and show up and resist the work of God in your life that he's called your heart to. You see this in the book. You see this all through the scriptures. It's not uncommon. The enemy, if he can't destroy you, and believe me, he tried. He tried to destroy Nehemiah and these guys to the point where they had to work with a, a sword in one hand and a shovel and a trowel in the next. They had to be prepared and ready all the time, on guard, the way you and I should be living, with the prayer and worship and the word in one hand and serving God in the right. That's how he told us, to be, to be on guard and be vigilant, to be sober, to be watchful. The scriptures say that. And not be distracted. But he will try anything he can to get your eyes off the mission, off your calling, off the God purpose, off what he has put right in front of you at this moment in your life, in this season, to be distracted. And that's exactly what happened in this story. And, and so uh, the wall's going up, and, and the enemy, uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and a guy named Geshem, they showed up, of course, tried to, at this point now, distract him. And that's why I'm calling this the dilemma of distraction, because they've tried everything else. As it's, it's as though this is the last weapon in, the, in hell's arsenal that comes out. And the dilemma means a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two or more options. And it seems like that's how it works, right? You're on the, you're on the move. I mean, you're, you're accomplishing things. You're focused. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have all these options you're, you feel like you have to choose from. And, and the enemy says, if he could just distract you to choose a lesser option than the one you're on, a... a Something that's good, but not the best. Not great, but it's good. And, and the bunny trail you off somewhere to get you diverted. Oh, the subtlety and the power that's behind that. You should never underestimate the, the, the power of distraction. Especially when you're pursuing the heart of God. You see this in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. I'll read it. It says that when word came to Sembal, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and gates. Now, that's pretty miraculous. The wall's done, right? No gaps. So Sambalat and Geshema sent me this message. Come! Come! Oh, chummy. Oh, come. Let's go meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Yeah, oh no. Remember, these are his enemies. They don't like him. They've been opposing him this whole way. Now, this is the first tip you need to understand this morning. If your naysayers or your resistors want to meet with you in a place called, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> don't go there. Whatever you do, that's a pretty good, you know, they just gave themselves away right away, didn't they? Well, this would be described as an opportunity. That's what this is described as. The enemy presents all kinds of opportunities. Oh, we're a generation full of opportunities, aren't we? How do you respond to the, to the opportunities when the, the resistor comes and wants to meet with you? You might think, well, God could be up to something. This is an opportunity, right? These guys, they've been posing me for years, and all of a sudden they want to meet with me? Boy, can that stroke our ego? Mm, mm, mm. Maybe they want to. Maybe this is time for me to finally expand my influence, right? I mean, this this could be good. Uh, opportunity um, has presented itself, right? And 
Maybe it's an opportunity for me to reach more people. I don't know. Maybe I can finally establish my name and, and somehow influence them to a greater degree. And, but often what we think is opportunity, God would say, distraction, distraction, be careful. What we think might be a good opportunity actually can divert us off the purpose that God has called us to and created us for. Have you ever noticed how distractions come when things are going so good and you're almost done? Nehemiah's case, he was just days away from from completing this massive project. All he had to do was hang the doors, get the gates up. Boy, I tell you, that's a dangerous time when you're almost done. The novelty of the vision starts wearing off. People are tired. They've been working a long time. Distractions could be easily, easily persuasive. Just take a break. Just, and we get distracted. Always hard to finish well, isn't it? The enemy would say, please meet with us, Nehemiah. Come on, please. We just want to distraction. You know, in the hist- it, there's never been more distractions in the history of our world as there are today. Distractions everywhere you look. Social media. I mean, we, you ever get distracted on social media? Very soon you look at your phone. Whole hour's gone by? Oh, my gosh. What a waste of time. I mean, technology, uh, new stuff popping loose, new games. I mean, they're adding new games, new sports to the Olympics. I get blown away every time they have the Olympics. What is that they're doing? I've never seen that before. That's a new one. New distract, new stuff, constant barrage hitting us all the time. More opportunities now that are available to us than in any time in history. There's, there's more entertainment and travel and business and careers and investment opportunities. And you can get on a plane and fly anywhere and be anywhere in 24 hours. It's amazing. We can seek our teeth into all kinds of stuff that look really good. Things that really don't matter, right? There's never been an easier time than the day we live in and to, to passionately get excited about simply wasting your time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because the, 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 if the devil can't destroy you, and he tried this with Nehemiah, then he will present a distraction. Think, oh, it's just a distraction. Oh, never underestimate the last weapon in his arsenal. He presents this to Nehemiah. It's an opportunity. Opportunities, again. Look, it's almost completed. Maybe Nehemiah could have thought, well, you know what? Um, uh, we've been pretty successful. and I mean, it made sense maybe that all these provinces around us that have been our enemies, maybe we can create some peace and normalize relationships. Maybe this is that opportunity. Maybe we could step up and... Maybe I can even negotiate a little bit with the leverage I got because they underestimated me and I'm the big guy on the block now. Oh, the distractions. You see how they can work. They can be subtle. Time to gloat. Time to gloat. And God says, no, it's time to stay the, per- stay the course. Would have been an easy opportunity, but it could have been fatal. It could have been fatal to sacrifice what God had called them to for an opportunity. Dangerous distractions, dangerous. Pull you away from God's best to what is good or okay. That could be the enemy of the best. 
One of the greatest battles I think we face today is um, not necessarily starting something. It's always easy to start something. We are excited, man. We're running on all eight cylinders. We got lots of vision. But man, when you've been slugging it out for a long time, been resisted the whole way, and you get to the end of the deal, it's like, <sighs> break time. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to finish well, isn't it? That's the real test. Stay the course. And you see in the story, they appealed to Nehemiah many times. Come on, four times. Ah, oh, come on, Nehemiah. No. He said, no, 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 no. And you discover one of the most uh, strategic skills I think Nehemiah had this in his season of life and could be one of ours is the ability to say no. No. Um, the ability to say no could be really powerful. No is probably one of the most important words we may have to learn at times. It's hard to say. It's hard to say no to people's expectations. It's hard to disappoint people. It's hard to uh, feel like you're come off mean. I mean, it's a challenge to our self-image. It's a challenge to our self-importance, isn't it? Right? Come on. Sometimes we got to say, you know what? Uh, I'm not that important. No forces us to evaluate and prioritize what's really important. To say, no, maybe it's because you're trying to preserve and protect family or marriage or your commitment to your job or your commitment to health. But no forces us really um, to pull away and to focus really on what's important. No sometimes says, I, I don't want to be distracted by the things that's going to take me off God's perfect will for my life in the season that I'm in. So how do you say no? You say it like this. No. Pretty good, huh? Those two, two letters put together can be coming off your lips and out of your mouth could carry great authority when you use them. It could set up boundaries for you to prioritize and keep your focus on what's really important and stay focused on what's really important. And it will enable you to say yes to what's really important because we want to be the kind of people that are quick to say yes to God and what he's called us to and prioritize in our life. Jesus said no. He would be around multitudes, healing lots of people. And then finally, he'd just say, I'm done. <laughs> and he'd walk through the crowd and leave and say no, because he had to say yes to his father. He had to have time with his father, because if he didn't say yes to his father, he would have nothing to give to the multitudes. So even he had to do it. It was wise. It's wise to say yes to God and wise to say no to people at times can't be available to everyone all the time. If you're always available to everyone all the time, eventually you're not going to have anything to give to everybody all the time. Can't believe I just said that like that. But anyway, we must be strategic in our no. We don't want to sound like we don't care, obviously, but no is because I do care. I do care about what God wants me to care about. So if I convinced you, you should sometimes say no. Four different times Nehemiah said no, no, no! And then, verse 3 and 4 says, but they were scheming to harm me. He was always on to these guys. Says, so I went to them, I sent messages to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and not go down. Why should I work, my work stop, while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. No! And then they approach him a fifth time. This is really something here. This is, this is just downright wicked what they do. It says, then the fifth time, Samballot sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed, notice it's unsealed, letter in which was written, 
It is reported among the nations in Geshem. He's another bad guy. And Geshem says it's true. In other words, this is a rumor. Here, here we go. Now we're, now we're stepping into rumors, right? Now, rumors, uh, it, it's bad news. Rumors are always bad news. And there's a saying out there that goes like this. Rumors are called, are, are carried by haters. They're spread by fools and they're believed by idiots. Better remember that. So there's a rumor going around that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building this wall. Moreover, according to these reports, or rumors, you are about to become their king and have appointed the prophets to make a proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. So there's a rumor. Well, don't let the whispers of people distract you from the call of God. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Don't let it pull you away. You've got to understand, you'll never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. Amen? Okay. Don't let the opinions of other people take you away from God's call and His purpose. It's a rumor. There's a rumor. You know, in those days, days letters were written on uh, papyrus or leather, and they would uh, roll them up and tie them with a string and seal it with clay. They would seal it. But in this case, it was purposely left unsealed. Hmm. Pretty strategic, huh? They purposely neglected to seal it. And now their goal is to spread false rumors, right? You get the letter, you're kind of like, I heard there's some stuff going on. Ooh. You better get that to the right place. It's really important. I mean, this is like hot off the press. They're like, ooh. And you, know, and you can just see it happening, man. It's just going and spreading. Not good. Uh, and obviously nothing could be further from the truth, but perception is reality. And this had the potential of becoming a huge distraction. Now, if you've been on this planet any length of time, you've been misunderstood, you've been misrepresented, there's probably been rumors about you at some point, it happens to everybody, and criticism isn't easy to handle, especially when it's un unfair, and it's so distracting, especially if you let it lodge in your soul, and you just don't shake it out, you want to defend yourself, you want to go home and think about it, and start crafting up emails, you know, and working on it and having a pity party and then getting mad and then stomping around and then, you know, praying and yelling and shouting and then talking to people and then, you know, getting even and all. It's a distraction. I love how Nehemiah handled this, though. He did. He just shook it out. He just said something about shaking things out of your soul. You ever do that? Just, Lord, I just loose that from my soul. I will not allow that to lodge in my spirit. That's what he did. And, and I heard, matter of fact, I heard this great advice about rumors. Don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true about you. Just live the life that honors God, and don't let the critics, don't let the haters knock you out of God's mission. Man, that's good. So there's a rumor. This is Nehemiah. This is how he handles it. He replies, verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. It's like, can't you see, the, I mean, it's just so funny the way he says, you want to talk to me like a fourth grader, I'll answer you like a fourth grader. You just made it up in your head. 
I mean, it's just hilarious. It's Nehemiah guy is such a character when you get into this guy. It's like, you know, most of us would be home like crafting three-page emails. You know, just all steam and all worked up. He's like, I love it. So instead of letting, he didn't discourage. As a matter of fact, look what it does. Verse 9, he says, they're all about trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and, will not, and we will not complete. But what does he do? I prayed. Of course he did. I prayed, now strengthen my hands. He doesn't go to people. He goes to God. He says, God, you're bigger than this. You know everything. I'm not going to get swallowed up in this. I just pray, God, now strengthen our hands. We are more determined now than ever. Fortify us, God. Woo! Man, that's good stuff. Very determined. Didn't have time to mess with it, talk about it. Didn't want it to chew up his time. Not a distraction. God's a distraction. Fortify us. Give us strength. Make us even now more dangerous than ever. More productive than ever. Boy, can't let your guard down. You might just think, oh, it's a distraction. No. Distractions can be deadly. It's a weapon. And uh, whenever, man, I'll tell you, you run to God whenever these things come at you. And stay at what God has called you to set your hands to. Now, whenever you're doing that and you're experiencing the abundant blessing of God and the wind at your back and good things are happening and you're making progress and steps of faith are happening, don't let your guard down distractions will come. They're very subtle, but they can be deadly. But when this kind of progress is happening and you're experiencing great things, changes, and people are getting encouraged and lives are getting put back together, people are being healed and delivered, and maybe it's in the marketplace, you're at the job, and things are happening like, like you never dreamed. You're having breakthrough, and you got momentum, and, and things are paying off, and all that determination and hard work, and you're going, this is amazing, I'm living the dream, finally! We can all get there at points in our life that's when you really can't let your guard down because what can happen, and we need to pay attention to this point, especially if you're a leader, is the external, the external successes that you're experiencing can bring internal damage to your heart if you're not careful. You know, in times of prosperity, we let our guard down, right? We're clever. Look what we're doing. We're prospering. Who needs God right now? Well, I really do need God, but this is going so well. It's dangerous. Success. We have to even be more guarded because now look what I have accomplished. Look what I have done through my own cleverness. And we can start to feel a little bit actually entitled to more. In fact, one of the biggest dangers of any kind of success, and Nehemiah faced this, we see, would be the temptation to start leading with an entitled spirit. It can happen on the job, it can happen in church, ministry, and a lot of different places. Um, but you could be a part of something that's very successful. More, more people are now serving you. A lot of progress is happening. And you've made a lot of sacrifices, and you worked really hard, and now you deserve this fine treatment and some perks. I'm not saying that's all bad. Just got to be careful got to be careful. Nehemiah faces this entitled spirit trying to come in. Another distraction. Verse 10. One day I went up to the house of Shemaiah 
son of Deliah, the son of uh, Meribel. <laughs> okay, that's quite a name. Anyway, who was shut up in the house, and he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you by night, and they're coming to kill you. Oh, Nehemiah, I'm your buddy. I got some intel, man. We need to run, because these guys are after you, you think? Let's go in the temple. We'll shut the door. We'll lock it. We'll be safe. Hmm. It's interesting, and Nehemiah actually had the authority to go into the temple. But if he did for his personal gain and not for the glory of God, which he was always after, trying to make God's name great, he would be abusing his power and sinning against God, and he would lose his credibility with the people. Boy, that's a tough spot. And again, Nehemiah was all about making God's name great. And so you see in verse 11, 12, his response. He's on to him. He says, but I said, should a man like me run away 